I did a series uh, just before Easter called The Power of One. And I wanted to reflect on that in just a few moments uh, today before we do the baptisms. And as we do that, you know, when you're baptized, what is it? It's a, it's a, when you're baptized to be immersed, that's what baptismal means, to be immersed, fully immersed. That means that you're showing an, um, an outward showing or demonstration of your inward faith. Now, in biblical times, you notice they would say John's baptism or Jesus' baptisms or Paul's baptism. What it means is whoever baptizes you, that's your rabbi, that's your teacher, your rabbi. So we're all now baptized to to Jesus, right? Because he's our teacher. He's our rabbi. He's our Lord and Savior. That's why everybody's baptized to Jesus that's a believer. And uh, so so as we do that today, I think we also need to reflect on our mission. I've been talking to you about kingdom assignment and hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Well, I'm starting to feel a healing anointing. See, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Well, we'll just see what God does. <clears throat> so, I'm, sometimes I'm just as surprised as you are. As I delivered this series, started this series, is really cool, and we shared with you about the 47 miles, like the lines of 47 miles, and we'll get into that in just a moment of our impact and how, how amazing it is. But you and I need to come to a simple understanding of our potential, the potential we have to reach for God the potential we have to bring others to him. I mean, we can teach and share a lot of amazing things. We can even get healed in church. We do here. We have those things. But the most important message is a message of salvation because that's what deals with eternity. And the most important thing on God's heart is each and every one of us that are his and each and every one of us that haven't made him our Lord and Savior because he did not create hell for people. Hell was created for the fallen angels that were kicked out of heaven, and that's why it's so treacherous is because it's there to torment spiritual beings. And it's not God's plan that any should perish. It's not God's plan that anyone should go end up in hell, but it is a reality, and we need to understand that. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to no one. In other words, this very moment is our opportunity to come to Christ. This very moment, you, you could go down the road and, and be in eternity, you know, by the time you pull out of the driveway out here. But what you got to realize is that God has a plan for your life, and that plan always involves your healing, your salvation, and your wholeness. Can anybody say, yes, Lord? So as we look at this, I, I really wonder sometimes, do we really see people? Do we see people the way Jesus saw people? Do we represent him properly? Do we represent him the right way? So if we can begin to see people the way Jesus sees them, instead of seeing a poor server at a restaurant that's, oh, Lord, you're like, I'm wasting money. It's messing my meal up. It's so bad. Maybe you see a young lady or a young man that that is going through some tragedy in their life. Maybe you see someone that's addicted. Maybe you see someone that's broken. Maybe you see someone that's just been abused. See, Jesus looked beyond what was in front of him, the appearance, because he always looked from the eyes, the mission of his father, because he told us, he tells us over and over in the New Testament, what that I will only do what the father tells me to do. I will only say what he tells me to say. And as we begin to understand that and his plan for our lives, you know, we we see someone in a 
desperate situation and we can start having pity, that's okay. And we do need to reach out to people, you know, in desperate situations. But we also have to always look at the eternal perspective. What is the eternal perspective? Where are they with God and how are they doing with him? Because that is the key to what you and I are put on this planet for. Turn with me to Luke 19. I'm going to read a few verses to you and one of my favorite one of my favorite stories in the Bible, it's not a, it's true. And uh, it, it's talking about a little man named Zacchaeus, you know, the little wee-wee Zacchaeus song and all that good stuff. And Jesus was coming into town with, you know, the entourage was following him. And he's coming into town and, and people were hearing about him and they were wanting to see him earlier in this chapter, you'll see. I won't get into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse seven, but I'm setting you up. Um, Zacchaeus wanted to see this rabbi everybody was talking about. Now, you got to realize he's a tax collector, and he's a Jewish tax collector. So the way that system worked, you would tax what the Romans said you owed, and then you got to tack on anything you could get out of people because, you know, you, you were the one in charge, and they had to submit to you, or the Romans would punish them, right? So we see that these guys, especially this one, Zacchaeus was kind of like the head of the mob. He was the head. He was the, the ringleader of all those tax collectors, and everyone hated him. Even his own family hated him, and they would not even allow him to walk into a synagogue. He was banished from a synagogue because he was one of their owns, own, and he was taking from them. He was stealing from them. He was robbing from them. He was, you know, having family members imprisoned and beaten and all those things. And Zacchaeus, he had his entourage too. But when he heard about Jesus coming into town, he, he couldn't see him, so he climbed up in a little sycamore tree. Remember the story? It's true in the Bible. He climbed up a little sycamore tree because he was so short and tiny that he wanted to see the Son of God. And it's so cool that Jesus just looked out of the corner of his eye of all those people and began to speak directly to Zacchaeus and talking to him. And then he was invited to Zacchaeus' house for a party. Now that upset all of, even his own disciples were upset over that. What are we gonna go hang out with sinners for? Not only as sinners, he's the center of sinners. He's, he's the one that runs the prostitution rings. He's the one that runs, you know, it's slavery. He's the one that runs all these things. And he's a very, very wealthy man. But it's interesting when Jesus comes to his house and, um, and he sa- it says this, it says, all the people, verse seven, saw this, began, saw this began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of a sinner, talking about Jesus, because Zacchaeus invited him to his house for dinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, now, they're already at the house, the setting is, and in and, and that time, you know, that was the biggest event going on every day was the supper, the dinner, and Jesus was invited, so Zacchaeus is at the head of one end of the table, Jesus is at the other, and there's people who couldn't even get around the table. There's this mass of people around at this celebration, and the disciples and even the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were sitting around the table, and they were muttering, like, what's he doing? Why has he got us here? Why are we in the presence of sinners? And as they begin to mutter those things, all of a sudden, Zacchaeus stands up, and he says, he is going, so they said, you've been going to be a guest of a sinner. Verse 8 says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Number one, he, had a, he got a revelation a lot of them needed. He was the Lord. He said, look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, under Jewish customs, when you were going to return something you'd stolen or taken unlawfully, you would only give a third back. 
or 25% back, I think it was. You would pay it, you would give it all back, but you'd pay a 25% reward. He's doubling what he's taken from all the people. He said, I give half of all my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back, look, four times the amount, not just 25%, four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now think about that. Here Jesus is, and, and he's reaching out to Zacchaeus, and he's doing all this. It didn't look good in the eyes of the religious people. You see, what I want you to realize, religion is not a bad thing. It's just a form and a method. But when religion is honored more than our Savior, it becomes an issue or a problem, right? And so here we see Zacchaeus and, and we begin to see this transformation in his lives in front of all these people. I, I wish it had more commentary after this, but it didn't. It went on to another scene. But think about how shocked they were to see that Zacchaeus not only, you know, not only repented, but he's going to give back, he's given half of his wealth plus four times anything he'd stolen. There was a lot of people in that room that were stolen from. Everybody in that room had to pay taxes, right? Everybody in that room was stolen from. And they're hearing now, he's not just going to return to me. He's going to return it with 400% interest to me. You see, when God transforms us, we are transformed. And Zacchaeus had a true transformation. But I want you to realize religion can be the thief of God's power. Religion can be the thief of God's power. And what is religion? It's the spirit of unbelief when it's in the wrong context. When people put religion like, well, you know, if you cut your hair, you can't go to heaven. Or if you wear slacks, you women, you can't go to heaven. If you wear makeup or you men, if you do this or you do that. Religion, Jesus said it like this later in this chapter, religion is the thief of my power. Why? Because in religion, when it's a negative religion, what is it? It's the spirit of unbelief. It's the spirit of putting what I see in front of me right now, what I know right now, above what God has said. It gets you into a place where you're only looking for the seen and never looking for the unseen. I mean, the fun thing about serving God is the unseen, right? The unseen realm. And that's where faith operates, right? The kingdom of God is in the unseen realm. You know, we could debate about where is heaven, but a lot of scholars say heaven's all around you. It's in another uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, sphere, right? It's in the unseen sphere. And you could, just like Jesus stepped out of heaven, he stepped right over into a room after he was resurrected, right? To, to minister to his disciples. So it's really a, a place where God is and where he is and where he reigns and it's heaven and it's beautiful. Like the Bible says, the Bible says you'll be known as you are known, but it's really not as far away from you as you think it is. There's times the Bible says that God even allows your family, your people that love you, that your great cloud of witnesses view something going on in your life to celebrate about you. Heaven is an amazing place. It's not just a place where little fat cherubs are going around and shooting arrows and people are just singing, you know, 24-7 forever. Because worship is not just a, a song. Jesus said you worship in spirit and truth. Worship is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of turning your mind toward Christ. It's a matter of you focusing on him and focusing on what his passion and his desire is and to have to take place. So he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so we began to really just think about that. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I, I didn't come for the ones that's in good shape. I came for the ones that's in bad shape. The only problem is everybody's in bad shape and didn't realize it. 
because everyone's born a sinner because of our forefathers, Adam and Eve, right? When they turned on God and they, they, they took on the spirit of Satan and all that good stuff, what happened is Jesus said, that, I mean, God said the punishment is that, that you would have pain in childbearing years and all that, but that everyone would be born like that, a sinner. And what's that mean? Sin means you're separated from God. That's what sin is. I mean, we could get here and put lists of sins and still not get what we know sin is to, at all. Uh, but sin is really when we separate from God, when we pull away from God. Now, you can do that through language. You can do that through uh, events or things you do, of course. And we understand that. And there's so many things that's just clear sin, we realize. But what I want you, what you, what you to understand is, guys, that you are so close to heaven, it's almost scary sometimes to think about his presence and his power that you can just reach your hand out and touch God. The Bible said he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, right? So he's omnipresent, he's everywhere all the time. The Bible says that God not only knows you, but he knows the number of hairs on your head in Matthew's gospel. He not only knows you, but in Hebrews 4, it says he, he knows the intentions of your heart. So, you know, sometimes we say, if I don't think about it or speak it out loud, God doesn't know. God knows everything, and he still loves you, and he still cares about you, and he's for you. He's not against you. Religion wants to label us and get us called up in. You know, I have people, well, well what kind of church are you? I said, we're, what do you mean, what kind of church? Right. We're Holy Ghost, full gospel. What do you want to call it? Spirit. They want me to give them a label. I said, we're just a come and see church. Come and see for yourself. Because they want to label you, right? Because now they can put you in their mind and they can categorize you. But, but we shouldn't be able to be categorized. We should have signs and wonders and amazing things going on in our life every day. We should be the kind of people that when we show up, they know God showed up. We should be the kind of people that when we come on the scene, they'll sense that God's on the scene, even if they're not born again. So as we think about it, and, and when we see what Jesus did with Zach, Zach, Zachariah, Zacchaeus, we got to understand that we're on assignment and it's called what? His great commission. God, God has set up the great commission. It's a co-mission. It's a partnering together. My heart is this, and, and I pray that we would get convicted to this point. I could hear it in Steph's anointing this morning. Could you hear that almost a weeping for God? And, and that is a, See, I want you to understand that that's more than words, right? That's the presence of God. But God always shows up his presence to release some type of demonstration. He's not going to waste his anointing. So I just feel this. I, I just pray that we all get convicted like David did when we think about the power of one and, and we realize that we have the power to win one to Christ if we'll just focus on it. If we'll not worry about winning the whole world, let's just win one this week. What if you won one person to the Lord every month? Think about that. You're over, over a life. Why can't you? Well, I'm not qualified. Are you blood bought? Yes, you're qualified. I had a backslidden Church of Christ preacher win me to the Lord, and he was backslidden. Seriously. You've heard that story, sitting in a housing development on New Year's Eve. My birthday's New Year's Day, and so we're all partying and, you know, all that out of our mind. And he sat there for hours, I don't even know how long, preaching to me and giving me his failures and his messed up life and how he lost his family and man, it convicted me like more than my mom or anybody could convict me. And the next day I went to church Sunday night and got saved and gave my life to Christ and served him ever since. So I want you to realize there's power in your testimony that God can even use the testimony of an unbeliever 
to bring someone to Christ, how much more can he use our testimony, the ones that are blood-bought, the ones that are his sons and daughters, the ones that he has anointed and atoned us for this day, not only to live with him forever, but he's anointed and atoned us this day to bring others to him. Does anyone believe that this morning? My prayer is that we, get, we become convicted like David when we pray. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he said, Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me into the everlasting way. He said, come on, search me, Lord. Check me out. See what I got going on. What, what can I do to get rid of some of these layers so I can be uh, more transparent for you? What can I do to get rid of some of these layers so that I will attract your fragrance and your presence at a higher level? What can I do that I can see you more clearly? So you see God. It's really a gift. You see God through faith. Faith is how you see God. And, and you've heard me talk about my faith. Sometimes I see a vision of someone being healed or saved or something I'm getting ready to do and minister, and I'll see a vision. I don't see it like a picture in front of me. I see it with my hearing, my spiritual ears, and then my hearing describes it, and then I can see it. It's the craziest thing. And it's like we all can see God in different ways and, and during different circumstances, during different times. And so, so, so I want you to realize this morning that God wants you to see him more clearly. God wants to show himself another side of himself to you. You know, whenever Moses said, I want to see you, God, I want to see you, he's like, well, you can't handle it. If you see me, you're going to die. But he said, Moses, get up there in the cleft of the rock. And he said, I'm going to pass by, but I'm only going to show you my hinder parts, the, the back of me. I can't let you see my face or you just be gone because he is holiness. He is other. He is separate. So any sin in the presence of God fully, that's his raw power, we would just disintegrate. That's why you can't go to heaven if you're not blood bought, right? So, so, and it says when God went by, Moses lit up, right? Like, like glory was all over him. And it was so powerful on him for days that people couldn't even look at him. They'd just fall out because of the power of the presence of God. And he's separate and he's other. And he wants you and I to walk in the fullness of him. He wants you and I to have more of him. Why? Not so we can hoard it up. He wants us to have more of him so we can share it with others. He wants us to have more of them. Like two weeks from now, when we're getting ready to minister, and Brandon and those guys are over at the motel again, over there at the Catalina, and doing that, and others are helping the widows, serving the widows. We're going to do a ministry in a trailer court up here. It, what is it? It's about the power of one. It's not about impressing people. It's not about impressing a community. It's just about obeying the voice of God. It's just about allowing him to use us to touch someone else. And that's his desire that we need to see like he sees. Now, the earth's population is about 7.5 billion people is what the research shows. And only about 2.1 confess to be Christians, right? So, So as we think about that and the enormity of it, and we began to look at, wow, only about, that means 5.4 billion people, if they died today, would go to hell. You say, well, how, how could God be that mean? He's not that mean. He's done everything he can to, to save you. You know the old story, don't you, about the guy that went up and met St. Peter, right? There was a terrible flood, and the flood was coming, and they were telling him that it's just going to wash everything away. And this old guy says, I'm, they, they came up and they were warning people, I, I'm so all right, I got faith, I'll be fine. 
Well, a few hours later, now the water's up to the porch, and they drive up at a big four-wheel drive, and they say, come on, this place is going to be underwater tonight sometime. I say, all right, I got faith, and he's just praying, Lord, deliver me, deliver me. I got faith. They come back a little later in a boat because now it's up to get under his roof, and they had to come in a boat. No, I'm all, he's hanging on the top of his house. I'm all right. I got God. I got faith. And then finally, they come by, and he's at the very tip, ready to go under, and they drop a helicopter, drops a ladder. He said, no, I'm fine. I got God. I got faith. And he drowns. And he gets to heaven, and St. Peter welcomes him and says, uh, he says, just can you answer one question for me? I know God loves me and all that, but why would God let me drown like that? I kept praying, and I had faith for it. He said, my God, he sent a truck, he sent a boat, and he sent a helicopter. What else did you want him to do for you? And that's a lot of times, that's the way we are in our life. God's sending you a rope. He's sending you a ladder. He's sending you a helicopter. He's wanting to move in your life. But when the scales of sin blind you from seeing his presence, blind you from seeing him how real he is, blind you from receiving his love. When God gave us the revelation of love here, man, it's been about 12 years ago, and, and he baptized me in a fresh love of uh, a love for him. And, and so on, and it got all over the church. And that's when we came up with this, the, the mission of this church is what? That, that we, are, we all belong, right? What's that mean? We're loved just as we are, not as we think we should be or anyone else thinks we should be, right? We believe, what? In Jesus and his word. We become who God purposed and designed us to become. We build what? We build the kingdom of God. We expand the kingdom of God. And we reach out every day, every way to make an impact on this planet. I want you to realize there's greatness in every one of you. There's power in every one of you. There, there is a champion in every one of you. But you could look at your body or you could look at your health or you could look at your finances or you could look at your marriage or your friends. You could look at a lot of things and, and, and say, I don't see God's glory in that. But what I want you to realize is God sees you differently than you see yourself. If we could not just get a glimpse of God, but if we could get a glimpse of ourselves the way God sees us, you'd see God because we're made in his image and likeness. That's why the Bible says, what, greater is he who's in me than he who's in this world. He's in you when you're a child of God right now. He's for you. He's not against you. So as we look at the the mission, uh, I think we got slides for this, don't we, Trav? Our mission field here in Lexington, if we just look at Lexington, we drew a line called 47 miles. And and as we look at this line, there's about 500,000 people just in this area here where we are around Lexington in this area we're talking about. And out of that 500,000, just in the Fayette, Jasmine area and stuff, there's 250,000 of them that not only don't know Jesus, but have never really been invited to church. That's what the, the 2010 census told us. Think about that. That one out of every two people you run into doesn't go to church. They haven't even been invited to church. So what does that say about us? We're we're where the water is. We're where the power is. We're where salvation is. We're where deliverance is, but we're not bringing the water. We're not going after the one. Jesus went after the one, didn't he? Then we go on to look at this. This is, uh, if we look at the 250,000 people in our area, that would stretch out 47 miles. So if we just put those people, lined them up, one with another, with another, with another, that would go 47 miles. And when we look at that, as we look to the north, well, yes, yeah, we look to the north, what would it do? We could reach all the way to the dry ridge in northern Kentucky with people lined up that don't know Christ, that, that are living right around us. 
We could draw a line to the natural bridge uh, all the way to the east, to the natural bridge, all the way down there, 47 miles. We could line people up, one person after another, that you walk by every day that one out of two of them don't just don't know Christ. They've not even been invited to church. And you wonder why people hate the church. They're probably thinking, if it's so good, why don't you invite me? If we look to the, to the south, it, we would stretch all the way, those 250,000 people to the Renfro Valley, to the Country Music Hall of Fame. All the way down there, just it blows you away. When you're driving down the highway next time that way, just think about it and get in your mind and heart what it would be like to drive all the way there, and there was nothing but people lined up, a big line. And all of them were going to come to the end of the road, and they were going to go to heaven or hell, depending on what you do, what you do. If you go to the west, it goes all the way to my old Kentucky home in Bardstown. That line would stretch, guys, all the way to Bardstown. If you lined them up around New Circle Road, they would be lined up two and a half times around New Circle Road. That's how many people around us today, and it's even more. That was in 2010, since I said, you know, it's more people, more stuff. And think about it, guys. You and I have the power to win the one. You and I have the power to win those that are lost, those that are unloved, those that are not forgiven. And, and it's up to you and I. What are we going to do with it? Well, Matthew, Matthew's gospel, chapter 9, verses 36 through 37 says this. When Jesus saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. And he had what? Pity for them. He was moved with compassion and he had pity for them because they were dispirited and distressed and amplified. They were dispirited and distress, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Think about that 47-mile line, the, the, the people that their spirits are broken, people that are dis- distressed, people that are, 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 their life's a mess, and they're hungry for something they don't even know what it is, but you know what it is because you eat at that dinner plate every day of your life. But they don't even know what it's like to, to pillow their head without fear, pillow their head with peace, pillow their head if everybody turns against them, they know their Lord won't, that he still loves them just the way they are, not the way anybody thinks they should be. And so we began to think about that and get that in our heart and our minds. You know, we need to realize what Jesus did at the well, right? Jesus did this at the well at John 4, 31 through 35. Here in a moment, we'll, we'll get our baptism going. But uh, he ministered to the woman at the well, remember? And she came up and, da, 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 and said, finally it got to, she's trying to figure out if he was some Jewish guy there looking for a prostitute, what was going on. And then finally he said, where's your husband? She said, aha, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the ones you live with now is not your husband. And she runs back to the city, says, You're, you are, you are the Lord, tells the whole city of Samaria. They came out, and all of them get saved that, that she brought that day. Thousands of them got saved that day. And it was an amazing celebration, and it was an amazing time because she just told her story. He didn't tell her everything about her. just told her about how many husbands she had. But in her heart, he told her everything about it, Right? Look what verse 31 says. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. So he's waiting for this woman to come back, right? Eat something. He said to them, I have found food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Because remember, they were hungry. He said, I'm going to sit here by the well 
they all went into town to, to, to get food and to eat and to bring him some back. And they're thinking, well, did somebody bring him a lunch, right? He said, uh, verse 34, said, my food, said Jesus, is to do with the will of him who sent me to fit and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You see, what fed Jesus was transformed lives. What fed him was the mission God had for his life. Not just some plan that I can have more, I can do more, I can get more. But, but the bottom line was what fed Jesus was the meat of lost souls coming to God. And, and what we need to realize is he's talking about a food that the same food you and I are supposed to have. We're, that, that's supposed to be what we're hungry for. Not hungry for a promotion. That's good. Not hungry for a raise. Not hungry for just a new job, new person to date. But we're to be hungry for the lost sheep that's out there on their own. And if somebody doesn't intervene, they're going to go to hell. They won't be in heaven. And when you get to heaven, you want them to say, enter in my good and faithful servant. But I might just say, look over your shoulder. Who'd you bring with you? Wouldn't it be sad to live on this earth 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years and not bring one person to heaven with you? Wouldn't it be sad to live on this earth 60, 70, 80 years and not go to heaven, not be born again? I just feel an anointing in here right now for salvation. I, I really do. When I said that about healing, God said, I'm going to save and I'm going to heal their souls. And there's some of you in here today, your, your soul is so broken. You know, you, you're so broken and it, it breaks my heart. I just kind of can see you in the spirit realm of, of your heart. Your spirit is dispirited. That means it's disconnected. It's almost non-existent. It's so broken. It's so wounded. You, you've been through a lot of hurt. You've been through a lot of pain. You've been living in fear for a while. A lot of people wouldn't even know that about you, but you have been. And the Lord says, I'm here today, and I know your name, and I love you. I'm here today. I know your name, and I love you. I'm here to bring you home to me. I'm here to bring you home to me. The Holy Spirit is drawing someone this morning that it's getting close for you. I'll never forget a young man I love so much. Young married man, had grandkids sitting right here in this seat, about this area. His first name was David, one of the happiest ushers you'd ever see. He'd just go around smiling. He's about 42, 43 years old. And uh, Prophet Trow, it's one of the first times he was here, and he went over to him and he said, Woo, you're really testing your angels, aren't you, young man? And he just kind of smiled at Prophet Trow. He said, No, seriously, I love you. You're testing the angels, and you need to let God have whatever it is you're dealing with. And he ministered to him and prayed and went on. Well, you'd never know it. David's so upbeat. About a month later, he dropped his one of his, his children, his grandkids off to daycare, pulled off the side of the road in his work truck, and took his life. We were devastated. We were his family was no, why did he do that? You see, nobody knows what you're battling inside of you. Nobody knows what it costs to be you. Why are you, why are you waiting for somebody to point you out and, you know, tell all the wounds and stripes and how great you are? Forget that, man. Give it to God. Just give it to God today. Don't, don't, that's why it calls, he says, your, your burdens are light when they're with me. Don't carry that heavy burden. Don't be laden with it. Don't be bound by it. That's what it means. 
You can go out of here today totally free. You say, yeah, but, but what, if, what if, you know, God doesn't remember me? Or what if I do and then he doesn't forgive me? You don't know what I did. You don't know what I said. You know, I don't need to know. I'm not God. All I know is if he saved a wretch like me, he can save anybody. People in my hometown still can't even believe I'm alive, let alone a preacher. That's true. That's true. If he can save me, save anybody. You're not a big VIP center. You're just a hurt person like me before I gave my life to Christ. Do I still have pain? Sure. But I handle it differently because God does it with me. Do I still have hurts? Sure. But, but it doesn't last as long, and God helps me to get through it. Do I still have fears? Sometimes, yeah. I'm like you. I'll have a fear, and I just have to give it to God, but I can feel his presence with me to give me the faith and the confidence. You do not have to live one more second alone. Today is the day of salvation.